and his children were just kids. They were able to take off their clothes and lie in the sun and be one together. We had so much sex. We had every kind of sex you can imagine. We did things you'd never even think of. We were forced to examine our souls. We took hundreds of acid trips together, smoked a lot of pot together. Set free. He's a genius. You don't realize. Of course, I love Charlie. I felt like he was a messiah come again. And leave aside something witchy. driver's license, change your clothes, bring your knife. They know they're facing the gas chamber and they don't care. That's what people don't understand. They don't care. You better be ready because you're going to die and I don't feel a thing about it. Podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I am one of your hosts, Adam Walker, and joining me on this cinematic journey, as always, is Pat Mitchell. Pat, shalom. Oh, uh, happy Rosh Hashanah to you as well. <laughs> um, so here we are again. We're four four deep into season three. And we are returning to our bad man from Dayton, Jim Van Beber. This is our second Van Beber outing. We just call him JVB at this point. Our boy JVB. Not to be confused with uh, Bobby G. We talked about a couple episodes back. Yeah, we have too many nicknames. It's uh, We should release uh, some sort of... You know, follow along guide to to the yeah, podcast. We'll have like a rubric. Yeah, cheat sheet. So, anyways, but before we get into that, as some of you may know at this point, we did introduce a new little game to our fun show here. It's called Stump the Chump in honor of Click and Clack, and it's where we go through a person's filmography and give the other person the uh, participant a minute figure out who we're talking about actors and actresses only in this regard 
So we're going to continue on with that feature. And Pat, whenever you're ready, we can do that. Let me uh, get my my timer in here. I'm ready so, to yeah. go. You ready to go? All right, here we go. The gang that couldn't shoot straight. Across 110th Street. MASH. Chinatown. Alan Alda. (laughs) No. The Gambler. Um, The Killer Elite. Serpico, the TV show. Oh, my God. Got 30 seconds. Um, The Rockford Files. Rocky. Oh. Twilight's Um. Last Gleaming. Convoy. 16 seconds. Rocky 2. Blood Beach. Yeah. I, it's, it's the guy from Maniac. I can't think of his fucking name. Rocky 3. Amityville <sighs> 2. Is he in 3 2? All right. Time's up. Last, last chance. <sighs> I can't think of that fucking dude's name. It's the guy from Maniac, Am- right? Nope. No. No. Oh, who right. is it? Give up. Yeah. It's a boy, Paulie, Burt Young. Oh, it was Burt Young. Fuck. I didn't recognize any of that early shit at all. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. I thought I, 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 I. That's why I. I was assuming by the time we got to the Rockies and that Amityville, that would help. Shit, I should have just started... I was trying to think of Joe Spinell, and then I should have just started naming fucking Rocky characters. Damn it. Fuck. That's a real... All right, so you're... Uh, shit shame. Two for three. I'm one, yeah. one. One and one. Wait, what? <laughs> what record are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, one, one okay. and one, you're 0 oh and two. Okay, so we dethrone the champ... You, uh, you, champ, you lost more your, like you lost your streak. You're a chump. Damn, Burt Young. You know, if we had gotten to Amityville two, would have knocked it out of the park. We did. I said there was the last one. Man, I wasn't paying attention because I was trying to think of Justin. <laughs> I even reiterated it. I said Amityville Fuck. two, the possession, and then I said it again. Last chance, Amityville this game two. Sucks. I'm not paying attention. <laughs> I'm, I'm in my own head. You came up with the dickhead. Yeah, I like to I like to be the host though. Well, we're stuck with it now, motherfucker. Damn it. Okay. That's a real shame. Okay. Anyways. So, back to the task at hand. As I stated, we're talking about uh Jim Van Beber here again, and this is his second of two only, as far as I know, he he has just the two full-length features the manson family 1997's the manson family so and if any of you paid attention to last season deadbeat at dawn we talked about that which i'm not sure which is more highly regarded in the world of cinema i would say probably deadbeat at dawn at this point is is more in the annals of respected quote-unquote cinema at this point but this also is a pretty noteworthy movie for a lot of reasons that we'll get into 
Um, Deadbeat of Dawn, that was your introduction to Mr. Van Beber, Pat. Yeah, I, I, I liked it. Yeah, I, I did like Deadbeat of Dawn quite a bit. You did, you did like it. So it's actually like, at this point, one of my favorite movies. Um, just just by it it really it shows it is it is an exercise and a and a testament to the lengths and will that one person will go to to achieve their creative <laughs> dreams and yeah i like the, the tour de force a real we said this back then but a real jackie chan uh i'm gonna choreograph act sing uh <laughs> do everything i'm gonna do just fucking edit produce direct i yeah i will i will literally break my body for my craft so but um you know in this uh he's in but not in that same capacity so yeah he does he doesn't take the lead role like he does with with playing goose he's more of a he's more of a side character in, in the story here so but he's still there. He's still a notable character, and he does a great job, in my opinion, in this movie as well. But definitely, you know, kind of like steps in the background a little bit more um, in his directorial, just to, to be more suited in his directorial status, I suppose. But yeah, um, plot description. It's essentially this is a it's a almost like a it's like a mockumentary documentary type style movie that is flashing back to the crimes of the infamous Manson family through footage of it's, it's spliced, it's spliced in eight millimeter, like home movie type footage mixed with sensationalist tabloid, true crime footage kind of all mixed together with in this like fever dream nightmare fucking acid trip fucked up way is it's really like a it's a it's it's just a real like pastiche of a lot of different things so and surprisingly given that you know van bever being someone that is was notable for you know building movies on the budget of a fucking, you know, hot pocket. This one had a kind of robust <laughs> budget. It was actually much larger than I thought. It was like $400,000 to make this movie. And wow. Yeah, that's yeah. surprising. Well, it yeah. took uh, what? Eight years? Yeah, like Deadbeat at Dawn, one of these movies that had just been kind of spread out over a decade to get created. How long and did lot- Deadbeat of Dawn take to take to film? Four years from what I remember. Oh my God. Started in 84 and finished in 88. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Yeah. He does. So he doubled the amount of time that he spent on it and, uh, and quadrupled the, the, amount, amount, yeah. <laughs> the amount of money, <laughs> the budget. Yeah. Yeah. But from what the numbers I gathered, it made back like almost 20,000. So definitely not not a lucrative venture whatsoever. Um, He basically he he got the money from like the short films that he had been making. And he had eventually 
accrued the capital to put into this and did all all the other kind of requisite kind of heinous shit like had to sell his blood and whatever <laughs> and and gather his assemblage of of Dayton homies that he you know somehow convinced them to make his movies for you know on like zero with like zero income for him which I find very impressive <laughs> This is like uh, Richard Linklater's uh, boyhood. Like he just uh, like a f- fucked up bo- version of boyhood. Uh, Linklater took like what, like twelve years just to so that the characters could age normally, and uh, you know JVB decided he was just going to do eight years so everyone could lose their minds in accordance with uh, <laughs> the real family. <laughs> And, uh, you know, the, the end game is, is what it is, but maybe, maybe Linklater owes him a a great, a great deal of inspirational (laughs) success. Well, it's funny because like, I was thinking about not Linklater necessarily, but I was thinking while I was watching this, I'm, I'm like, I wonder how much of this movie, how much of its, uh, creation had an impact on like Tarantino. I didn't find any direct correlation at all, but I thought maybe because, you know, obviously Tarantino has his ear to like what's what's cool, but I didn't find any connection there. But I don't know. Maybe Linklater also. (laughs) Maybe he's into it. So, well, and still in 1997, I mean, Tarantino's like fairly early in his career anyway, still. So, yeah. That's true. Um, review wise, honestly, I, I I I dropped the ball. I didn't even find any on it. I'm sure that they were it, it, it was panned <laughs> by 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 a lot of places. But you know, you know the ones that knew what's what's up. I, I think I read one on Bleeding Skull that was pretty good. You know, obviously the the the, the from the right channels, it gets all the acclaim. And, and the lauding that it deserves, but from any sort of like commercial or mainstream channels, it's, it, you know, it got dunked on. So, yeah, it'd be hard to find. I, I'm not surprised. It's uh, I mean, I feel like it'd be hard to find people that even saw this, let alone had it a uh, professional opinion that was put to writing. <laughs> yeah. Well, any other thoughts before uh, we move on here? Um, no, I mean, I, I mean, I guess I could save the, the majority of my thoughts for, for the good, bad and questionable. Um, I don't think I have any initial thoughts. I, I don't know how I, I don't know how I felt about this. Okay. Cause, it, Cause you, you, you knew virtually nothing about this movie either before. No, uh, I recommended it. Right. <laughs> No, not at all. And I didn't like it as much as Deadbeat at Dawn. Um, that's not to say I didn't like it. There was parts of it that um, I certainly did. Um, but it left me. <laughs> I wasn't like it wasn't like so disturbing that I was like distraught or anything. Sure. I, I was just left more uh, indifferent towards it. But I, you have a knack for. Um, bringing things to the table that I appreciate in the moment and would never watch again. And this is another one of those where 
I'm appreciative to have seen it. Would never watch this in a million years <laughs> ever again. Well, that's a that's a fantastic segue to bring me to uh, we're reintroducing uh, our dial a dude section of the podcast where I feel like we're going to be bringing um, someone into this menage a trois that might offer a little bit of a counterpoint to your point. We're uh, bringing back the dial a dude portion of the podcast. And we got John from Twitch of the Death Nerve. Fantastic podcast um, that I highly recommend coming on the guest. So here we go. Hello. Hey. Hey. hey, dude, I haven't talked to you in so long, man. <laughs> I've been getting these, like, fucking prank calls. People have been <laughs> ringing and then hanging up. Well, this is worse than a prank call because we're going to ring and keep you for yeah. the next two hours. So it's like we're gonna keep the you. worst prank call of all time. <laughs> we're going to reel you in. Oh, fuck. So, anyways, uh, good to have you on. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to do this. Uh this absolute shit show. Um, Have you thought about your car's warranty and how we can help in that regard? <laughs> can I interest you in a timeshare? Um, <laughs> um, anyway, so we've talked a little bit at length about the band Necrophasia and how much we both love that that band. I, I made a comment. I saw you had. You had the T-shirt version of the hoodie that I have with the the Linda Blair Exorcist image. That deep inside, I will plant the devil seed. I don't know if yours says that on the back. Do you have? That? Yeah. yeah, yeah, mine does. Sick. It's like one of my favorite hoodies. Um, but anyways, love those Phil Anselmo era Necrophagia records. I like like all the early stuff too. But that was the stuff that really you know hooked me in with that band. And yeah. So those home videos that they put out, those were directed by Jim Van Beber, and you said that, yes, you you saw those, and that was also your introduction as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then you were telling me that your mom <laughs> sprung for that for you. Yeah, well, it was on the their like record label's homepage, and they're like, uh, "This is explicit. No one under 18. Right. And I was just like, "Mom, uh, I really want this tape." And she's like, "That can't be any worse than like the movies you watch, so I'll buy it for you." I'm like, "Oh, cool." Cool. Yeah, and then the tape comes, and then a nun gets gang raped, and my 15 year old eyes are just like, "Oh my god, what the fuck is this?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And mom was wrong, but rad, rad and wrong. So I was having this discussion before I got in uh, here to do the podcast uh, with some friends about how the one part of that video that always has stuck out for me. It's not that part, but it's the very I think it's the very, very first video where it has Wayne Faber, the drummer of Necrophagia. He's plays an axe murderer, like one of those crazed woods axe murderers slasher. I know exactly what you're going to say. Yeah. And <laughs> he kills those. He kills the couple, throws them in the fucking in the grave and then masturbates blood on them. 
So <laughs> the uh, the couple, it's it's a daughter and her dad, but she yeah. gives them a card and it's yeah. like, oh, you know, hi, happy Father's Day. And then they start making out right. <laughs> like immediately. It's just like, oh, my God, what is this shit? Yeah, thank you. Sorry, I compl- I don't know how, but I did forget that that there was the the incest detail of that. <laughs> so yeah, like you were saying, Pat, real real uh, family ties, family fun, family friendly type of content here. So, but yeah, Pat, you've never seen these videos, have you? No, I have no clue what the fuck you're talking about. Okay. Well, <laughs> when we get off of here, I will definitely send you links to. I, I I don't know if they probably won't have the explicit the explicit. Well, I don't know. I think they might actually have that version on YouTube because it is. Yes. I watched it not too long ago, like going down memory lane. Okay, yeah, because I remember I looked at it and I shared it on Instagram at one point. So you're right, but I'll I'll send it to you, Pat, so you can see for yourself. Um, oh, great, cool. <laughs> so, anyways. So good to know that we were on the same page with that. And then, I don't know, like, did you pretty much after you saw those videos, did you dive into Van Van Beber's catalog or did it take you a minute? I couldn't find anything. And then literally like two years later at my Suncoast video at the mall, uh, I found Deadbeat at Dawn. They just had the, like, I think Synapse released it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, like I've been meaning to see this forever. And I picked it up and I watched it that night and it fucking blew me away. And then right then. Oh, um, but no, actually, scratch that. I'm totally fucking wrong because I used to tape trade with this kid and he was also a big necrophagia fan. And he was like, I've actually got the Manson family. Uh, then it was still called Charlie's family and he sent me a bootleg of it. Uh, that's all coming back to me now. So I watched this like shitty VHS bootleg of Manson family. And it was pretty much what I expect uh, that dude who made those music videos to do a Charles Manson film. That's exactly like how it, it, it would have been. It was like, Oh my God, this is ex- fucking nasty. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Well, all right. Well, so that being said, let's go ahead and dive into really talking about this movie, uh, so we don't draw this <laughs> this out too much. I don't want to jinx ourselves anymore, so let's just try and move it along with the good, bad, oh, and the questionable. Garbage dump, oh garbage dump. Why are you called a garbage dump? Oh garbage dump, oh garbage dump. You call a garbage dump. You could feed the world with my garbage dump. You could feed the world with my garbage dump. You could feed the world with my garbage dump. That sums it up in one. And topping it off with the good. So. Pat was saying he he might be a little ambivalent about this, so I guess I'll uh, I'll lead it off um, by just kind of talking about some of the things I like and I like about Van Beber in general is I like at this point that Van Beber with this film in particular was just really sticking to his guns with utilizing 16 uh, millimeter and 8 mil- millimeter film because 
the grain and the texture of this movie, the way it's all spliced together, like really is what makes this movie uh, so cool to me is just the feel of it being just this. It's like d- multiple different times of film stock being kind of like spliced together. Um, and that's what I really miss. I think a lot about horror movies is I know like directors still do this, but it, it does get more and more um, cost prohibitive to do stuff um, on film. But to me, if if a if a movie, a particularly a horror movie or anything, is trying to pay homage to slashers or whatnot, or like seventies, you know, exploitation or any of like the satanic stuff, if it's done just too high definition, obviously it just it doesn't feel right. And this was like in the late nineties, where it was definitely starting to cross that threshold more and more into f- directors using less actual film and moving more into using like digital stuff so that's just one thing i wanted to say off the top um i'm going to delegate so it. of the of the four hundred thousand dollar budget three hundred and fifty thousand went to film right <laughs> just the by by all reels of it exactly <laughs> over yeah, the course exactly. of eight years it's not even just that though. Like he purposely like sought out like cheap film from the seventies. Like he, I remember uh, watching an interview with him where he's like, "The film stock going around now, I just don't like. I'm I'm trying to get like, I, I know for Deadbeat at Dawn, he purposely tried to get the same exact film stock as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. So it really has that like grimy look to it. Right. Yeah, you can see like the cigarette burns and like the. It almost feels like when it gets to the end of a reel and it kind of like burns out. Like it's got that sort of the whole vibe to it. Well, it's funny. It shows. I I know for this one, like some of like this the stock footage type stuff, he would actually play it in a projector and throw kitty litter on it to give it all the scratches he wanted that it to have. Ah, yeah. Which is pretty pretty inventive. Yeah. No, I, 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 that was one of my favorite parts as well. So yeah, I totally agree. Well, and that's what I, that's yeah, that's really something that shines as you can tell. He's being really experimental and like creative with his use of film in this more so than like a lot of directors, to be honest. Like I feel like at least at that point for sure. So. Yeah, I didn't know those details about the kitty litter and all that. That's super sick. <laughs> I think it's it's one of those things that, like, even though it takes him forever to make everything, he has, like, full control so he can, like, experiment with shit like that. Like, if you had, like, a producer, you got somebody breathing down your neck the whole entire movie to get it done in, like, X amount of days, and you can't really do those, like, weird flourishes that is, you know, what makes his movies is. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um so Pat, because I feel like you're gonna have a, a a little bit more limited scope of you know maybe what you enjoyed about it, I just wanted to field it off to you. What were some things aside from what we were just talking about that you did enjoy about this movie? Yeah, I mean to piggy to piggyback off of like you know the minutia of of you know the type of film that he used and all that, but um, 
I did love the way even that it was like kind of edited and pieced together, kind of going back and forth between like this hard copy style 90s, uh, you know, reality, reality TV documentary kind of shit. And then like flashback storytelling and then like, you know. I, at first, I, I had no fucking clue what was going on with with that modern like the cult <laughs> bondage cult. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on there. Uh, but like, I did. I, you know, he uses you know different types of film to convey the different eras too. So obviously, like when you're flashing back to all of the Manson stuff, it's it's a lot more gritty than than any of like the modern day stuff. So I mean, those those little details do help in you know what other what otherwise would have been a, a fuck fest in terms of you know there's three different perspectives here but he does a good job of like delineating between the three the three things in the way he shoots and films and edits them all together um but also like there's a for an experimental film there's an odd dedication to being historically accurate that right. i really liked like it was it's strange that he took like with an experimental film you have all this room to move and like kind of interpret as you as you wish but there's you know the spawn movie ranches in there like charlie killing that black panther member bobby killing gary hinman over the mescaline dispute like that that's all real shit that like actually fucking happened like everyone knows about the tate murders and the la bianca murders and all that shit but all of the the little details charlie killing you know uh, what's it? Lots of lots of pops or whatever the fuck. Lots of is. lots of papa, I think. Yeah, lots of papa. Like that's a real thing. That yeah. like those are all things that like culminated in into what the cult ultimately became. So, like from just a, uh, if you are a person that is fascinated with the Manson family, this gives you even those minute details, which I think is really really cool because this could have just been off the rails of just like LSD acid trips and free love and all this bullshit that everyone thinks they know about Manson family but he took the time to actually put in like dedicated stuff that's like actually historically accurate too no I, I, I agree with everything Pat just said and like it's sort of like the unglamorized like version of the Manson family like everything it's not about making Charlie out to be this you know the big boogeyman it's sort of like I remember there was the like the 70s TV movie which followed like the Helter Skelter book where it's like no Charlie was trying to start a big war and things like that it's like this movie's like cuts all that out and it's just like no these are just sickos that you know lived out in the fucking ranch and there was no master plan or anything and this is what really they were doing it isn't this hippie free love bullshit they were just fucking wild drug addicts doing blood orgies yeah, yeah. I really enjoy all that too and it's funny because um, I don't know what has been in the universe you know as far as like bringing us back to this point of analyzing the Manson family and the crimes related to it because it's definitely been happening again and even me personally I've been revisiting it not just with this movie but I read a book not too long ago called Chaos I don't know if either one of you are familiar with it no um, 
But is, is that the one about the, the like their ties with the CIA and stuff? Correct. Exactly. Uh, my friend read it and, and they loved it. Yeah, I like it a lot too. It's definitely it it leaves a lot of open ended threads that the author isn't really able to tie together. But he opens up a lot of questions that you know I don't think a lot of people consider with what was going on with Charlie and the Manson family. But one thing I do like about it is he definitely does a good job of kind of exposing Bugliosi as being just an opportunist and really taking advantage of the story for his own kind of like personal gain. Um, and then obviously, you know, that extrapolated into the made for TV movie, which I love. I love it's got Steve rails back in it. who's like one of my favorite character actors playing Charlie. And that was like one of the first things I ever saw that had anything to do. That was my introduction to this whole mythology this whole saga so i have a special place in my heart for it but like you were saying you know we have this glamorized version of it and this mythical version of charlie and um yeah this does a good job of showing and like chaos does that where it just shows what actually i think was happening more or less on the ground in that situation and i feel like that's why I like that late that last Tarantino movie because it also does that to a certain extent. Other than the fact that I like the way you know he does his whole, you know his whole twist on the history of it. But like when um, Brad Pitt's character shows up to the Spawn Ranch and you know he's there talking to Bruce Dern as as George Spawn, I just love that little like slice of life you know kind of aspect of showing what was probably really happening there and i feel yeah that this film does it too um but i also wanted to say that um i think this is a very uh quotable quote heavy movie or like soundbite heavy movie and i feel like there's a lot of like parts of this movie that were taken out that i know maybe john you've heard like that has been placed in extreme music here and there (laughs) so yeah, I know. Um, I know the Ravenous uh, made a song about this movie called "Orgy and Dog's Blood," which is a classic. Yeah, and I'm I'm I might be <laughs> misremembering, but um, there's the real famous quote or the famous line where the one uh, Manson family member saying, "L.A. will burn to the ground, Los Angeles will burn to the ground." I'm almost positive that Phobia used that too. That sounds like something Phobia would do. Right. But I also wanted to talk about, like, I really, really do love the camera work of Mike King, who he I guess he's basically a mainstay in Van Beber's Dayton crew because he worked on like every single project uh, that Van Beber did up to, you know, as far back as Deadbeat at Dawn up to this and maybe other stuff later. But I really, really like the camera work as well in this. Um, I don't know if you guys have any commentary on any of that. Well, I specifically, um, you know, the the gang rape of of Simi is like really nightmarish, and uh, you know, there's lots of distorted features of people's faces and shit like that's really done well. Not just the camera work, um, but it, it, there's a certain level of like, uh, like restrained insanity that yeah. goes into like filming the Tate murders and the, and the, the La Bianca murders. That's like just the right amount of insanity mixed with like this manic brutalism. Like, I feel like this is probably 
you know, throughout the course of film since since these incidents happened, the, these have been recreated in a number of different movies. But I feel like this might be the most accurate to how it actually happened, like very manic and just like the brutalism of it is nonsensical, but they could have veered off into complete insanity. And there's a shot of like text turning into like Satan or whatever the fuck, you know, that's it mixed in there. But the way they shot the actual Tate murders, which is what I was like looking forward to the most, I feel like was the most fly on the wall that we're ever going to get to seeing how those probably transpired. And it's, it's fucking just like the, the gang rape, just nightmarish to envision because the crime scene photos of those murders are still like haunting. And it's, we've had so many more heinous shit happen since then. And it, it still pales in comparison to what police walked into <laughs> with, with those murders. So yeah, I wanted to just throw that out there. I loved how those were just choreographed and filmed in general, the murder specifically. Yeah. John. I'm, I'm with you 100%. Like it's fucking, it's masterfully done. Like you can tell the whole thing is deliberately staged, but it still comes off as like fucking feral. Yeah. And it, yeah. And I know like Mike King was, was Jim Van Bepper's dude. And I guess like it was, you know, like peanut butter and jelly. They just knew what like like Mike King knew what Jim was going for and could always tap into that. But yeah, the the Sharon Tate murder scene is it's fucking like acid trip nightmare fuel. And there's one detail. I don't want to sound fucked up or anything, but that throat slashing is arguably the greatest throat slashing I've ever seen in movies. Like it's like the way it's perfectly timed and edited. And then you see all that fucking blood just shoot out. Like it makes me cringe. I watched this movie like five times and it always makes me go. Yeah. Well, and also the actual, just the whole sequence of murdering Abigail Fulcher, Fulcher is so fucking brutal and such overkill. Uh, <laughs> you know when she's like yeah. crawling out into the moonlight just like on death's door finally keels over and then Tex goes out there and just like just stabs her like 30 more fucking times and <laughs> Jesus <Ugh>. Christ <laughs> and, and all of like the, pig, the squealing pig noises that's like overlaid on the soundtrack yeah the sound design is is super sick it's like, and you get like this mix of like the whole movie feels docudrama, but at the same time, it cuts to these things where it's like, no, you're in like the acid trip killer head, and it balances it perfectly. Like, it's a nice little fucking mishmash. Yeah. And I wanted to pivot to talk about the cast. Here we have another example, like with Deadbeat at Dawn where we just have these non-professional quote-unquote actors that Jim has hired on. They're all his buddies from, you know, Dayton and around to do this movie for free. Like, they didn't get paid from what I gather. Not, like, maybe some of them did, but he had no budget for the actors. They did it for free, and they do it with fucking aplomb. Like, Leslie Orr does a really good job, and I've talked numerous times, Pat can attest to this, about 
how much I love Mark Pittman, and I think he does such a phenomenal job as Tex. I love him as Bone Crusher in Deadbeat at Dawn, but it's just like, I just love this idea that, like, this dude could convince all of his buddies to just act like complete maniacs for his film for, like, you know, a fucking, for, like, a couple sandwiches a fucking day and getting high, essentially. You know, for a decade. For a decade. <laughs> like, literally, like, fucking on screen. Like, and this is, like, one of those things where I wanted to discuss how, because I know, John, with your guys' podcast, you guys talk about, like, adult film, like, classic adult film and stuff like that. So you guys actually get into talking about porn. You know, we that's not really in our purview. But it is funny to think about. We're, we're too immature. It's, <laughs> nah. yeah, we, we cannot talk about it without just like, all right, I gotta go, like jerk it off. You know, I gotta, I gotta, we can't have like and just like giggling at the thought of like a tit mouse or something. Like I can, we can't. It's too much. That's one thing we're I appreciate about appreciate about you guys is you can actually have like this staid, educated discussion about people fucking on film. <laughs> But, we try. Yeah, but like with this, obviously, <laughs> there's this such a fine membrane between where like it's they're acting and they're like, you know, they're trying to portray something to where are they fucking on screen? Because I know that there's one part where because Van Beber had hired like prostitutes and sex workers to be extras. There's huh. a dude in that orgy scene. One of his cast members is legit like eating one of them out on screen. So, JVB that, went from job creator to like Trump support MAGA nutball, and that's <laughs> fucking crazy. I know. That's probably how he got him to work for free, though. Honestly, right. the drugs and the sex. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, don't know, I didn't know John how much you could attest to that because I, I, you know, I'm I I know a little bit obviously about this movie, but you know, it just seems like in a lot of ways, yeah, they were just on there. They were just straight up, like, having sex on screen. I, I remember, like, because there's, like, the making of on the old DVD I have, and I remember, like, one of the cast members was just saying, like, it felt like he was with the Manson family because he, like, they're supposed to be making a movie, but there's just alcohol and weed and drugs everywhere. And it was sort of like, yeah, get fucked up, and then when I say action, just do what I want you to do. And that was pretty much, like, the how it went on set almost every day of shooting. Yeah, nice. Like, me- like the most insane method acting. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. But... Uh, to stick with what you're saying about the cast, though, like what I really like about it, though, is it's a genuine ensemble. Like, not there's nobody that's really trying to steal the limelight. Yeah. Like, they all f- fucking are in their perfect places, and they all feed off each other. You know, you don't have like that one guy who's chewing up scenery. They all kind of get the flow and ebb of everything. Yeah, and these movies are always. By these movies, I mean anything related to the Manson family are are Charlie centric, right? Like he's always the you know the middle in the middle and the most screen time, obviously because he's the most recognizable and and probably the most interesting. But you know, to have him take kind of a backseat, like I feel like Texas is more in this than he is. Like Bobby, it sh- also yeah. yeah Bobby. It also shows like the puppet mastering that was happening because 
Charlie was not outside of killing like the Black Panthers member. There wasn't actual blood on his hands. The interesting thing of it is his orchestration of these events and how every this groupthink mentality turned into like raging violent insanity. But Charlie nonetheless was in the background the whole time almost like whispering in people's ears and putting thoughts out there that people acted upon so i really fucking loved that and the guy that played charlie in this is is great a great charlie but you know he didn't dominate the the movie i think that's a that's a wise decision that's great well one thing that kind of was a blessing in disguise was like he found god in the middle of shooting and quit the movie right I was just going to say that. I was going to pivot to... It was like, by default, he was in the movie less because of the circumstance. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So was that a construct of the movie or because of that actor? <laughs> yeah, they just kept going. And, like, I remember, I think one of the actresses even talked to Jim Van Bever. It's like, this movie's about the family anyway, so just keep going without him. Yeah, so it was... Well, whether by on purpose or on accident, it's it's... It's the way it should be because, right. uh, you know, it, there's there's so much material out there where it's all about Charlie being like the ringmaster and, and him just really bloating up any sort of screen time about the subject matter. When, whereas these other people that are doing the actual fucking insane deeds, it's much more interesting to follow them and their perspectives. Right. I agree. Um, so... Do you guys have anything else like good that you wanted to discuss before we move on? I love the well. First of all, I could I, I wanted more of the modern cult. I didn't get it, but that's that's neither here nor there. I love the Charlie Don't Surf shirt. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> I want to know more about it, and I want it. Okay, so John, maybe can you talk about this because I I can definitely um, talk about the Charlie Don't Surf shirt. Isn't I could be wrong. Isn't that an old rotten cotton shirt? I believe it is. So, yeah, that was one of those just from the 90s, uh, you know. I thought it was a Clash reference, but I had no fucking, like, other than that. Like, No, so idea. this is what it is. You will know this once I say this. You'll be like, oh, it's an Apocalypse Now reference that they turn into a oh. shirt related to Charles Manson. Oh, wow. Well, first, it, that's tight. But also, like, just sick shirt design. I love, like, like just the design of that shirt. is Like, I want that shirt and then Cody's Blackhearts hat that we talked about <laughs> from class of 1999. And then I could be a real cool dad. <laughs> a real cool 90s daddy. On these suburban streets. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, the Charlie Don't Surf references to, it's reference to, in Apocalypse Now, when they meet up with Robert Duvall and Robert Duvall's... Um, his troops, his, uh, you know, his uh, platoon, they like to surf as R&R, and they're talking about it, and he makes that quip where he's, like, talking about the Viet Cong being out there, and he goes, Charlie, don't surf. Yeah. Okay, so there's that. But I like it. I like the dialogue in this movie where the dude's trying to explain to the cult members because they're, like, giving him shit. He's like, you know, man, because he's behind bars. You know, he can't go out there and surf. Charlie, don't surf no more. <laughs> that's tight. I, that's really cool. And I, I can't. I, yeah, that that uh, went over my head. That's tight. I think, I'm glad you've you've explained it. Yeah. I think that's one of those things that like made Jim Van Bever want to make the movie too. Was 
Charles Manson coming, becoming this like counterculture icon. Right. And they're like, no, this should not be, uh, celebrated. You can clearly see that all this stuff is just filthy and nasty and wrong. Right. Exactly. That's Yeah. That's what I gathered from it too, which is, it's funny that he decided to make that statement with his film you know, considering that like the zeitgeist was so pro Charlie in a lot of ways, especially if you came from like counterculture or anything like that. If you were into metal or punk, Charlie became kind of like a figurehead of being the the ultimate rebel and anti-hero, and that Van Beber decided to turn that on its head. I wonder if he had died earlier because he he remained in our collective like cultural zeitgeist up until like two or three years ago like he he just died which seems insane like he just fucking died and he was in our purview as a madman and a we don't have very many like celebrity uh prison you know prisoners anymore people like on that level we just we'd we don't put them on a pedestal anymore and it's easier to catch serial killers and all this. But he was like one of the last vestiges of it. So I wonder how much, like if he had died, you know, soon after these events, uh, if how much of this, you know, purported um, retelling of his story would have even happened um, is interesting. Oh, cause it's like, I think he's like the first celebrity criminal. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm sure there's other ones like Al Capone or something, but he was the first like deranged, like celebrity criminal. And it, the Manson murders are considered like what killed the 60s hippie peace and love thing. Yeah. So I guess even if he did, you know, kick the bucket soon, maybe he wouldn't be as big now. But I, I'd still imagine he's he still be kind of, you know, in the national consciousness. Yeah, well, ma- I would imagine that there'd be some level of martyrdom then. Like, if he had died or, like, the, you know, the, the, right. maybe he's even more popular. Instead of, like, hanging around and getting, like, swastikas tattooed on his face and, like, doing that, like, meme where he's giving all the, like, the, <laughs> the runway looks, like, sticking his <laughs> tongue out and shit, like, uh, I, I don't know. He just, he just uh, would give us something every five to ten years to be like, oh, fuck, Charlie's still alive. That rules. I think Instead that's a thing. You know. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Because, like, if, if you're a celebrity and you die young, you're immortalized because, like, you're only yeah. known for your golden age. Like, if Bruce Lee had lived to be, like, you know, 60, he probably would have done, like, a bunch of shitty movies in the 80s. And it wouldn't have been like eventually we'd have just gotten tired with him and he would have faded out. But he died like at his prime and Bruce Lee is still considered like the best, which, you know, in a way he was. But he never had his like shitty sellout period. And I imagine same thing with Charlie. If he had died, you know, a few years later, like you you were saying, maybe, yeah, he could have possibly be even more popular today. Yeah, I mean, he truly was in a lot of ways. He he. he w- is was our modern day Rasputin, the ultimate Svengali that just captured the imaginations of so many people and was able to have almost like this mythical magical essence to him to the point where 
I just thought the dude was going to live forever. <laughs> right. It was wild when he did die, you know. And the fact that he had, like, a harem, too, you know, like, yeah. you can look at all these other madmen, like Richard Ramirez and whatever, they're just, like, lurking the streets alone. He had a fucking, you know, a, what, eight or nine girls ready to fucking kill and die for him? Probably more than that. Okay, so you guys ready to move on, to, uh, talk about, like, maybe some things you thought didn't hold up quite as well with this movie? <laughs> sure. I'm down. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna volley it off to you, Pat. What What do you think? Well, uh, so in our in my good, I said I love how historically accurate it is. In my bad, I hate how historically accurate it is. <laughs> <laughs> I love and hate it. Like I love it because I'm like. I, I I think it does a, a real justice to like the real trans you know what really transpired, but I'm out, I'm also just kind of sick of the Manson family shit. Like I I simply I don't think I care about anything outside of the specifically the Tate murders anymore. Like the Spawn movie ranch stuff and the spiritual cleansing and the acid trips and even like the you know his relationship with the Beach Boys and all that shit. I, I think I, and this is not a fault of the movie, I should make that clear. What what my bad here is, is that I no longer care about all the minutia of the Manson family. And to pivot into what you were talking about with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that's why I love that so much, because it was like a reinterpretation and almost like a, uh, you know, reworking of, of history, which is like became Tarantino's thing over the, the back half of his career, this like revisionist history right. thing. I loved that Tarantino built up these fictional characters and had them come into contact with, you know, Manson family people to a different end. I think that's really smart and savvy and awesome. Obviously, 1997, we, you know, is a lot different than being completely burnt out on this story yeah. in, you know, the 2020s. Um, so in 1997, I'm sure this fucking packed a wall up in terms of, you know, its interpretation. I'm looking at it through a more modern lens of just... It is the Manson shit has been so played out. I just I don't care about most of it. So that this movie couldn't hold my attention at times. And then like when the Tate murders hit, I was like, fuck, yeah, like that was what I was waiting for. But the hippie bullshit, I, it's, I'm just exhausted by it. And that's not a fault of the movie. John. My only fault, and this is a very minor fault, it's I don't feel the the '90s gang is as scary as the as the classic hippie gang. They they feel like '90s industrial kids. Like it's like watching kids at a Nine Inch Nails concert. And like yeah, I, I call them the the spooky kids gang. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They look like they they really like the. They look like a. They just left Hot Topic, and I'm like, I get it. Like, I understand what they're going for. Like how the Manson cult just keeps kind of replenishing with new fucking crazy people. But for some reason, I don't know. They they don't have the same as like. Uh, who's the guy? Um, we were just talking about him who played Bone Crusher and Deadbeat at Dawn. Mark Pittman. Yeah, like they don't have the same kind of fucking psycho level that he does, especially during the, the Tate murder scene. But even so, like, it's a very minor thing. 
Yeah, that was – I didn't quite put it in the bad, but I did have that as like – it could go either way with me. It's like I don't know how well the 90s cult aspect holds up because there's so much about the 90s at this point that really can be dated, and there are aspects of it that are certainly dated. Um, I think – I do like the the sloppy Joe Elijah Wood guy in that gang though, because he does come off as being kind of unhinged. The, the one with the two knives. Yes. 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 Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I do like him in it for sure. But yeah, I kind of could go either way with them. Um, my bads are also little bads. <laughs> one thing that just always cracks me up when I watch this, I, I want to be like. Yo, couldn't you put more money towards the wig department? Because <laughs> some of those wigs are real shoddy. And I also don't understand the artistic choice of Van Beber to paste a shitty fake painted mustache on his own mustache. To yeah, that's Bobby, what that Bobby was. Yeah. So, so or whatever. You know, what's up with that? That was that's exactly what I had was modern day Bobby has a yeah Dollar Tree Master of Disguise mustache. I, yeah, this is strange. <laughs> JVB couldn't like we know JVB can grow, grow a, mustache. a mustache. She had a mustache so, in the like, movie. Why go that route? Like Tex looks nothing, absolutely nothing like the real Tex nothing. before you know absolutely nothing. So if you're not if you're not that dedicated, then like who cares? Who gives a shit? Right. Like you don't have to do the shitty mustache. If that was in my bed for sure. Yeah, the, the the wigs and the mustaches, like the Tate actress that plays Tate, uh, Sharon Tate, clearly wearing a wig. Uh, the dude playing lots of Papa, clearly wearing a wig. There's just come so, so, there's a few glaring examples of of the wig game being real off. It's frustrating because they just did it, they didn't need to do it. That's the whole like that's what's so frustrating about it. Like just get a blonde like a big titted blonde girl. Like like Sharon Tate was like so striking, and then you get like this. <laughs> Like someone cosplaying shittily Sharon Tate, which is jarring too. Because, (laughs) like, you got a real wish. You want to connect with Sharon Tate's murder, like on some level, which is another thing that obviously Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like, they knock that out of the park with with connecting with her. Yeah. So there's that, and also you can tell that the Leo LaBianca makeup, even from like kind of shot at a distance is also like really bad as well like they just put like the worst old man makeup on this young dude to make him look that way those are really it uh john you got anything else you, that was pretty much it was the cult for you yeah that's pretty much it for me Pat, and then, uh, i mean it, it runs at a brisk time too it doesn't overstay its welcome it's just over 90 minutes yes yeah, I agree. It's 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 a real you're 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 in you're in your seat the whole time. There's it doesn't leave a lot of room for you to for your mind to wander. You're definitely like um you're along for the fucked up ride for the whole thing pretty much. So um okay, well that being said, questions. What kind of questions do we have in regards to this movie? Uh John, I'll uh I'll ask you if you got any questions. This is this is less question and more just questionable but and I want to know if you guys will agree with me with this 
when not the uh, guy who's making the documentary, but his partner, or like maybe it's his boss. He's talking to him a bit in the in the uh, beginning of the movie. He leaves and he sees the new gang just lurking in their car in the parking lot. And like this guy looks like the biggest square. And I'm 100 percent sure that dude would have walked back in that building and called the cops. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't yeah. let that 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 would not fly at all. Right. Yeah, um, we kind of went over some of my questions a little bit. Uh, we talked about the the baby at the gang rape. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, sick. You this, know, we need a we need a new like. So Iron Maiden needs to, you know, figure this shit out. I know where you're we, going with this. We have <laughs> bring your daughter to the slaughter. We need bring the baby to the gang rape. <laughs> if, if we could just. Get them to fucking figure that out. That'd be or great. Can we hire the mentors? I feel like this is the mentors <laughs> uh, category. This is something. That yeah, I, they would have to. Yeah, they would have to pass that that uh, that on to somebody else, probably. Uh, Pat, questions. Yes, in the Gary uh, ear mutilation scene, um, what in the wide world of X one hundred and three is Sadie listening to on the radio? Right. Like, she keeps trying to turn the radio on, and it like dates the scene because it sounds like. I, I don't know, like Stone Sour or something. I, I don't know what is blasting and why she's like so dedicated to listening to it. But it should have been like some bullshit, like Mamas and the Papas or something. I don't know, like something to, you know, put me in the in the what, 1968, probably when that happened. Yeah. So I had that the the anachronistic music during the Hinman murder. But yeah, like not even Mamas and Papas like you I'm sure there would have been some heady fucking psychedelia you could have put on that would have been, you know, serviceable. <laughs> yeah, they, they, there's there's lots of shit that could have. Well, I mean, for copyright reasons, maybe they. Yeah, that, uh, they I'm sure that, that was also that had a part to do to do with it as well. Um, I did want to mention along with. So we have like the, you know, there's the speculation about the actual sex on set. Do you think that that one cult, the 90s cult member, do you think that they were actually injecting intravenous drugs at that one part? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put anything past it. I wouldn't either, but I think that might be where they draw the line. <laughs> right. Well, because, because if you don't get it on the first take, are you going to keep asking them to shoot up? <laughs> up to, uh, did you hit a vein? <laughs> Let me know. Yeah, well... Uh, Pat, I don't know how much we've talked about this because uh, it's a movie that we might bring up on my end in this. But uh, John, are you familiar with the movie Thriller? Yeah, the 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 seventies fucking revenge yeah. thriller from like Sweden. Yeah, I love that fucking movie. Yeah, yeah. So there's a part in that where they actually they're shooting up um, their uh, the 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 lady that they kidnapped, the one that ends up being like the the vigilante. And I had read that, yeah, they actually shot her up, but they it was just, like, water or whatever. And, oh, but, God. But, yeah, like, they actually injected, like, an actual substance into this woman for the film. And I just kind of had, like, a... I was triggered a little bit, like, thinking about that with this movie, too, so... Yeah, that's dangerous, I'd imagine. I know, it's, it's definitely yeah, not... Yeah, Jesus hy- Christ. Hygienic. Um, 
questionable. Also, why does it seem like the actor and actress playing Abigail Folger and Wojtek Frakowski are all like significantly older than they were when this these murders happened? I don't know if you guys noticed that at all. Uh, I noticed it with him, not as much as her. Oh, well, yeah, I guess it is with her because. Yeah, I would, were they? They supposed to be a little bit older, right? They're not the like, like Tate is much younger, right? Yeah, but like these, those, those two look like they were in their almost forties. They're playing. She's the heiress to the Folgers, uh, whatever the fuck. Um, it, they looked older than the LaBiancas, honestly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so it was definitely like some weird kind of like. Uh, mismatching with the age, age yeah, ages of the, of the cast and the actual people they were portraying. Um, so I got one last thing. Wanted to hand it off to John. Back to you. Anything else? You got any other questions? No, no. I, except that old guy not calling the cops. That's the only thing where I'm just like, wait, what the fuck? That's no way. That's the most unbelievable part of the movie. Yeah, Pat. I have a couple. Do you want to end it, or uh, like, or do you, you want to have the last word? No, no. I'll just, I'll, I'll just inject mine real quick. Questionable for me. Super joint ritual. Although I did think it was kind of cool that Phil Anselmo played the voice of Satan in this, which is a little tidbit. But I'm getting. Yeah, I was trying bit. to because I saw the the name in the credits and I was like, wait, was he in the Modern Gang? Like, did I just miss him? And then I I was too lazy to figure it out. He's so. just a voice. He's just a voice. He's okay. the voice of Satan. During the Tight. during the during the acid trips, anyway, go ahead. Awesome, Pat. Um, well, maybe I mean I just didn't understand. Maybe there's a, you know, you guys can just explain it. Why does the modern uh, in this modern spooky kids gang like why does the Charlie Don't Surf dude get killed? I, I didn't understand why he was murdered. I guess that they just they I think because they were devotees of the Church of Charlie, they felt that he was mocking their. Uh, their Lord and Savior. Oh, yeah, the shirt was yeah. was seen as an affront. It was seen as an affront, exactly. Yeah, yeah blasphemy. So didn't didn't because I was making a joke about him not be about him being in jail. I guess. Yeah. Damn, I thought they would have been like tight shirt. Okay, they're real serious. <laughs> <laughs> My last question is. Um, where is Squeaky from? My favorite Manson family member. Yeah. It's, uh, this could have been in the bad too, but Squeaky is my favorite. She fucking, uh, tries to kill Gerald Ford. Like, there's a lot of shit that you could have just snuck in with Squeaky. And also, Squeaky is the, is the cutest of the Manson family, because they're a real dog face group. Oh, yeah. Um, and the, the, I guess my other questionable would have been, they made Patty banging. They made Sadie banging. Yeah. Like, this was not a banging group of, of people. This was a real dog face fucking troop of men and women. So, uh, you know, Squeaky particularly stands out because she's, she's just real cute and pixie like. Um, but, yeah, so questionable for making Patty and Sadie, like, somewhat attractive. And. Where the fuck is my girl Squeaky? Could have could have thrown her in there. That would have been delightful. I was looking for her the whole time, then she just wasn't in there. Yeah, I was a little disappointed by the the noticeable lack of, of Squeaky. But I do. This should have been in the good. I did want to comment that uh, Leslie Orr, who played Patty, does have a uh, spectacular set of cans. So 
<laughs> yeah, you think the real Patty Krenwinkel? <laughs> she, that's the whole thing. I would have been in this fucking cult, like doing weird sign group sex, up, right? Yeah, sign me up for this. But if I showed up and the real Sadie and Patty and all them showed up, that that would that'd be done. I would find my way home. Yeah, I did want to actually to throw back. I did have uh, another good line. Um, that goes with that is when uh, Tex says, I didn't have any experience with group sex, but I warmed up to it. <laughs> he so. was a trooper, a real trooper. He was like, I don't know about all this group sex. I'm just, but yeah, I'll, I'm going along. I'll for fuck the ride. you in a tumbleweed. <laughs> Let's figure it out. Why are you wearing that shirt, Todd? Charlie. So then it's the back. Yeah. And then I've seen this shirt before. No, man, I forget. What does that shirt say? <laughs> what? What the fuck is that supposed to mean? Charlie doesn't, sir. Come on, man. Let's get out of here. Let's go. <laughs> I thought you guys knew about this shit. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, before Charlie wasted all them people and everything, you know, before they sent him out to the clink. You know, he used to surf. Uh, you know, Charlie don't surf no more. He's in right, jail. Right, right. So just so there's no um, confusion here, because uh, I don't want to make any assumptions on your part, John, do you know who David Bendenhall is? Uh, no. So we have our first award is the David Mendenhall Award to the Worst Performance. David Mendenhall was the little bitch boy that played uh, Sly's son in Over the Top. Oh, okay. So we we made a whole award for him because we felt like his his uh, his portrayal of that character was one of the worst things ever put to celluloid. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So there you go. So I uh, just want to let uh, get everybody's opinion. What uh, Pat is uh, your uh, who wins your uh, David Mendelhall Award for this? My. David Mendenhall goes to uh, the Sharon Tate performer. Just bad from top to bottom. Um, <laughs> they could they could have gotten uh, way better out of that um, performance. I, I can't even... Who the hell played her? I don't even... I'm trying to look up the actress. I don't even know. Yeah. John, you got any standouts? Yeah. Um, when... The guy, the Beach Boy producer is being interviewed, and there's that guy with that fake British accent. Yeah. Yeah, that guy. There you go. <laughs> um, I, I didn't have anybody specifically, but I'll, I will agree with both of yours. I, I think I'm going to side with Pat the most on this, but yes, I'm, I'm in agreement on those are good David Mendelhalls for this one. Um, our next award is the Frank Booth Award that goes to the character who best belongs in a David Lynch movie. John, what do you think? Oh, I mean, there's a lot to choose in this <laughs> one. Really, is a cornucopia with this, but yeah. uh, I would imagine the the girl who plays Sadie. I'll vote. I can't remember her name. Yeah, Pat. Yeah. I don't, I don't even, I can't even venture a, you know what, I'll go with, um, I'll go with JVB as Bobby. I feel like Bobby could, could show up in, uh, 
Twin Peaks. <laughs> he, he could play a Bob. He could play a Bob. Yeah, he could play the evil Bob. Yeah. Another evil Bob. Um, I'm going to go with my girl Leslie Orr because she has that completely unhinged monologue with text in the rain about Charlie, you know, being like one with love and love is everything and blah. This very That's circular type of like, you know, discussion she's having about uh, Charlie's uh, deification. So. I'm going to go with Leslie Orr. That's a good one, yeah. Okay. Moving along. I think I've already made mine known, but because we have, again, a, a platter of babes in this movie that, you know, historically represented very few babes, but, and men and women, like, dude, like, let's be real, like, Jim Van Beber was fucking cut for, like, most of this whole tenure that he was making movies the dude yeah. was like in pretty fucking good shape you, you know you could tell like he he definitely put in his reps and was like training on the side to like do these stunts and shit that he was doing but anyways i digress this award is the eg daily secret admirer award goes to the biggest on-screen crush pat who is it the this uh you know, interpretation of Patty Krenwinkel, not the real Patty, but Leslie or as Patty Krenwinkel, you know, they called her big Patty, which I don't (laughs) (laughs) like in real, in the real family, which doesn't make any sense. Cause I think she was like super fucking short. Like she was like probably under five, five. Yeah. Um, so don't understand the nickname, the real Patty Krenwinkel, nothing to brag about, but Leslie or something to brag about John. Uh, I'm with Pat on this one. Same for me. Yeah, same. I mean, she's like definitely like the hottest of this whole crew. Um, all right. Last award. Welcome to Primetime Bitch Award goes to the best one-liner. What do you guys got? The most iconic shit is still um, still resonates the most with me. I am the devil and I'm here to do the devil's work. Is still so impactful. I love that, that fucking line. Um and it works, and it's a, it's the line you always hear in these movies. So, yeah. There's the one like quick monologue. I forget who gives it. I think it was just some rando where he's like, they're talking about the 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 acid trip blood orgy, and he looked. He's like, I looked over at my friend, and he's like, Yeah, I think we're in hell. And my friend was like, Yeah, isn't it groovy? <laughs> oh yeah, that's a really that's a good yeah, one. that's a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. I do like that a lot. And that's like, so mine was like a real, like there's lots of one-liners that were like, that are pulled from Manson family lore. And then there's talking about like this movie's one-liners that are like, you know, that they wrote, (laughs) not that were quoted from the family. So there's a delineation there, I suppose. Right. And I already said mine. Like I said, I think the text one was really good about the group sex and then the L.A. will burn to the ground. There's a lot of those with those those um, um, I guess um, more marginal uh, sideline character Manson family members that, that they cut to during like the documentary type of like footage that have like some pretty choice ones. It's like kind of like it's like the uh, the Manson family Mouseketeers, I guess, where they're you know they're like the they're like the the second string. <laughs> of the man's yeah. family, yeah. right, right. You know that didn't get, uh, didn't get taken to jail, but we're still, you know, rooting for the team on the side. Yeah, they're the only ones left to represent the group. <laughs> <laughs> right, 
right, exactly. Um, okay, so the bullshit internet research wiki wormhole portion of the podcast. Now, I fucked up and I didn't actually put it in my notes, but whatever. Um, so let's just go down the list a little bit here. To make the actors feel more comfortable during the sex scenes, Jim Van Beber would often direct naked. Seems par for the course, right? Of course. That made them more comfortable. Uh, yeah. It made them more comfortable. <laughs> the, the threat that he could jump in at any time was supposed to warm everybody up. So, like, I like to envision that scenario being extrapolated to just whatever shitty bullshit job you, you have. Like, you know, like, I work at Taco Bell. And then, you know, my boss is like, well, in order to help you guys feel a little more comfortable, I'm just going to come in naked. <laughs> yeah, I know this is a stressful job, so I'm gonna put my dick in the refried beans, and never, we could all join in. Right. Apparently, that was like a Harvey Weinstein thing. Like he would always call somebody to have like a meeting in his like hotel room, and he would be waiting for them naked. Oh, God. Yeah. Just to add to how much more ghoulish that man. Yeah, talk is. about right. true horror. At least, like, Jim Van Beber was, like, a handsome-looking dude. Right. You know, he didn't look like one of the fucking guys from Dune, like Harvey Weinstein. I know, he wasn't a Harvey <laughs> Yeah, precisely. That's what I'm saying. Like, Jim Van Beber's cut. I'd be like, all right, dude. Now, you know, like, he's got, like, he's hanging low, too. So you're like, sure, I'll check that dick out. No problem. <laughs> and at least, like, even, like, comparing Weinstein to, like, Charles Manson. Like, at least Charles Manson was, like, writing, like, you know... Woody Guthrie, if he was under the bridge or whatever, like <laughs> carry a tune, and he was somewhat charismatic. I mean, Weinstein is up against a dude who has a swastika tattooed on his face, and it's still like kind of a neck-to-neck race of who's more deplorable. Right? Yeah, if you, exactly. If you had to put him in a lineup and be like, okay, which one of these dudes are you gonna are you gonna fuck? Yeah, Charlie. Oh my God, Charlie's gonna win <laughs> out, which says a lot, right? Um, oh no, Weinstein would have more cushion, I'd imagine. He definitely, oh for sure, <laughs> he's got yeah, plenty of that. Um, mm-hmm. When the Tate Labianca murders were depicted, the shot does not show Sharon Tate being stabbed in the stomach in detail. It's because Jim Van Beber highly objected to film a pregnant woman being stabbed in the stomach, which is hilarious to me considering how gru- gruesome this movie is. But everybody has a line. You know, right. It just goes to show everyone has a line that they won't cross, and that was Jim's. So. I was I was gonna bring that up, and I just didn't. It was it's crazy that the where this movie chose to go, and then yeah, the Tate shit was somewhat subdued specifically to her because there's a lot of like entrail play and pulling like fetuses out and shit. <laughs> like there's a lot of shit they could have done. Right. Um, yeah, it's weird. That's strange. But I mean, I guess that makes sense again to play, you know, to go back to talking about how Jim has become a Trump guy, how he, he, his, 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 uh, true manifestation has been a, you know, a MAGA guy. I guess he did have some family values that, some conservative family values kind of lurking in there. Somewhere. It's, I mean, I know he was always a maniac. I think right. like he, he was a heavy drinker and I think he had some demons that he never really dealt with. Yeah. Not that I know the guy personally, but that's just because so many companies that dealt with them, um, just cut him off completely. Like I know, it, uh, Severin who released this on Blu-ray, 
up one day said, we're selling all our stock of this movie and trashing the rest. If you want to buy it, buy it now. Because they he, he would get drunk and leave them threatening phone calls all the time. Same thing with Synapse and their DVD of Deadbeat at Dawn, which like the guy who runs Synapse, he actually recorded and put them online. If you ever look up Jim Van Beber's Synapse, you can listen to him getting trashed, leaving threatening messages on this dude's uh, fucking... What are they called? Jesus Christ. Um, voicemail? Not voicemail, before voicemail. Oh, like Back when we had landline. His answer machine? Yeah, the answering machine. Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. I haven't, I haven't said that in 25 years. I know, right? It's, like, <laughs> it's like an artifact. Now you do. Like, what is that fucking thing? <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, there's like just so many like people tell him that like tried to work with this guy and they say like, yeah, he's brilliant. And then he gets drunk and he's a fucking madman. Yeah. That all sounds about right. And like any sort of like documentary footage I've seen with him, you know, post, you know, making this film in the past, like 10 years. Like I watched, I watched that documentary related to combat shock. Cause we talked about that movie a couple episodes ago and yeah, you can, the, you can clearly tell it's shot in his like one bedroom apartment that's a complete shithole and he's just like looking real rough. So I'm just like, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of sad because like he's such a brilliant dude. And he's such a, he's so talented and just. Right. You know. it, but it, I also wonder like if he wasn't a fucking maniac, we would have gotten more Jim Van Bever movies easily. Right. But. Or the reason these movies so good is because he's a fucking maniac. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like, do you like what way was better? Like we got two movies, which is more than you would expect from a crazy guy. And they're fucking <laughs> awesome. But if he had cleaned up, would these movies be as raw and fucking psycho as they are? True. Yeah. And that's always that's always kind of, um, I guess, a uh, what is it? Uh, um a conjecture to make or a hypothetical about right. anything involving like any sort of transgressive art like this is well could they do it as well if they weren't fucking loaded all the time and traumatized <laughs> you know right right <laughs> so yeah it's hard to say um the band download a spinoff project from members of skinny puppy supply most of the original score jim van beber once directed a music video of one of their song which that's sick you know i love this the fact that there was that connection as well and i mean you can clearly see it with the gang being represented as being almost like these kind of you know like rivet head type people and right and even with uh my sweet satan the movie he made to get funding for this, the way he plays the Ricky Casso character is clearly he's trying to be like this like industrial rivet head type looking dude in that film. So, you know, he kind of had that, you know, that haircut he has in that is fucking something else. It's, it's, <laughs> it's really, yeah, it's, it's something for sure. But I love that. I think that might be my favorite of his shorts. Yeah, it's really good. Um, once again, just portraying these like, complete you know real life fucking lunatics that got deified in certain ways in, right in counterculture and underground cultural circles with ricky casso um i love this this like really like tickles me uh this is actually one of clyde barker's favorite independent films yeah. 
I can see that. Yeah, because you know, I from love... one freak to another, right? Exactly. Real recognizing real there. Yeah, real freak recognizing real. <laughs> um, a couple of these things we already talked about. Like I said, that so specifically, actor Tom Burns was actually performing oral sex on one of the ex- extras during the bonfire scene, and. When I read that, I had to go back and rewind and look, and I see it, and it's like, oh, sure as shit, dude. That dude, he is, like, burrowed deep in this woman's fucking thighs, so it's, there's no... Take after take. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dude, this is so sick, also. Kind of blew my mind. This is going to blow your mind, Pat, if you didn't see this. Sylvester Stallone's son, Sage, redubbed the voice of J.C. Brand in this. (laughs) What? Yeah, because you know, like, Sage, like, he has that production company with Elijah Wood, Spectre Vision. Wow. What Is that, the that's hell? what it's called, right, John? Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I, I think so. I know he worked on Grindhouse releasing with Bob Morowski, and they're the ones that brought, like, the Beyond to the States and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, Spectre Vision. Yeah, he's be- the co founder of Grindhouse release. Yeah, yeah. SpectreVision is this production company uh, that it put out Mandy and Colorado Space. So that that's it, that's Sage's company. As far as he's, wow. he's he's dead now, isn't he? Sage Did he died. Yeah, he died. Yeah, like a he, year he died ago. in the early 2010s. Yeah. Oh shit! I didn't even know that. Well, fuck me. Which is probably why I never got a, uh, a response to my letter about how he ruined my life with Rocky Five. So. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. You were sending it to a dead man. <laughs> no, it was sent in like 1995. <laughs> oh, okay. So he was alive then. Did you? <laughs> never got around to it. It was in crayon. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's see. Oh, this is interesting. Despite the extremely heavy use of violence, sex, nudity, and drug use, this film is not banned in any country. Probably because it just completely flew under the radar, but... Yeah, yeah. you can't ban something that no one knows about. Right? <laughs> um, the only people Marcelo Games who played Charlie would communicate with on set were Jim Van Beber and cinematographer Mike King because he was so shy, and those were his close friends. Wow. Little little cutie. Yeah. Um Oh yeah, the body count. Dude, I couldn't find anything about the body count. So I have no idea how many people died in this fucking movie. Uh we can kind of maybe mentally recount, but I mean you got lots of op- lots of papa is yeah. like one and then you have Gary, that's two, and then both couples in the um in the Tate murders, so that's six plus the LaBiancas, that'd be eight, so a minimum of eight. And the um the one stunt guy they shoot. There's a stunt guy. Oh, the guy in the car who's sitting outside. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. And nine. they shoot him at the the spawn ranch. The the one um, rancher that always gave him trouble. Oh, yeah. That's that's ten. So <laughs> there's there's the guy sitting outside the house that Tex shoots too. Yeah. So that would be ten. And and the guy uh, who made the um, documentary, yeah. the, the New Gang Kills. Gets- oh, 11 plus the uh, Charlie Don't Surf guy, 12. <laughs> and his friend. They shoot his friend, too. Yep. Oh, does the so, friend die? 13? Yeah, lucky 13. 13. We'll end it at 13. That okay. seems appropriate. I was going to say, because they do also, they do sacrifice the dog.
what do you give this out of well let's let let me think what what kind of iconography do we have here what are you thinking no boy um smeared pig's blood smeared human blood (laughs) i was thinking a baby at a gang rape out of (laughs) (laughs) how many babies do you bring to this gang rape Uh, I was gonna say serrated celebrities. Serrated celebrities. How, how many? Yeah. How many? Uh, how many open tape wombs do we give you? There you go. I like that because that brings the, together the baby aspect and that. So yes, out of five serrated Sharon Tate wounds, wombs, what do you give this, Pat? I struggle because I don't. Because a, a, a big component for me in rating is uh, replay value. Because yeah. for me, midnight flicks in general are movies that I replay at a late night hour. Something that feels comforting. A chicken noodle of, of movies, if you will. Um, and so, and this has v- little replay play value to me but you know i don't sit sit around and watch like stan brackage movies either like i i i fucking like experimental filmmakers um and i appreciate uh you know their methods and i can derive even pleasure from watching it so i'm torn and i'm just gonna give it a three it was gonna get a two and a half because the replay value is is just so low for me but i'm gonna give it a three because I, I think the Tate and LaBianca murders specifically were were really, really well done and something I in, enjoyed a lot. So I'm torn and I'll give it a I'll give I'm as torn as Sharon Tate's womb here, um, <laughs> but I'll give three out of five. OK, John, I'm four out of five. This this movie's in my wheelhouse. I love it. It's the closest like a modern movie will get to like a 70s drive-in trash movie even though it's not trash but like that same feel that like exploitation lo-fi nastiness yeah this is kind of like what rob zombie wants to do but can't oh yeah yeah that's a good point 100 percent. i don't like dude just so you know we are like Oh no, he said the RZ word. Here goes that one. Uh, we, uh, me in particular, we lean hard into our disdain for the Rob Zombie, Rob Zombie filmography around here. So you're you're speaking our language, my friend. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've only seen his first two, and they feel like they want to do what this movie does effortlessly. I I, I really agree, um, and I'm gonna agree with you on the rating too. You know, same. It's this is my wheelhouse. I really like this movie a lot. Um, yeah, I, I will say, uh, you know, Pat does not have a lot of replay value because it's kind of intense in a lot of ways, but you know, I definitely like this movie a lot, so I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it a four as well. So, John. Dude, I'm so glad that you stuck with us. I'm sorry that you had to go through hell and high water to get to this point. Uh, no problem. Uh, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, I really liked having you on, man. And like uh, to reiterate, for those of you to listen, please do check out Twitch of the Death Nerve. It's spectacular. It's well-researched. You guys all really know your stuff. Um, and like what, you guys just dropped one on Caligula that's out right now? Yeah, yeah, that was a first time watch for me, believe it or not. And wow, what a fucking movie. <laughs> so I actually have never seen it. I have I have like a scrubbed version of it here in my VHS collection that 
but I've actually never seen it myself. So it's it's great. I thought like, oh, this is just what normal people are going to consider like crazy and perverted. And then I'm watching, I'm like, oh wow, this movie's fucking crazy and perverted. I love it. Right. Well, and it's it is an interesting movie just in the fact that it has such a star-studded cast. You know. Right. Right. And it's a porno. And it's a porno. Yeah. So. <laughs> Anyways, um, but check them out. I'm sure by the time this obviously airs, you guys will have at least a couple more episodes. I want to say particularly um, for people that listen to our podcast and haven't listened to this, because we covered um, Assault on Precinct 13. You guys did it as well. You guys did a phenomenal job talking about it, and you know we you know we were in agreement. I feel like in a, in a lot of ways on that, and also go back listen to the City of the Living Dead. Uh, one also superb. Anyways, sorry to gargle your uh, your sack there, but <laughs> no, it's appreciated. Yeah, Pat, tell me, what are we watching next time? Holy shit! Uh, you have caught me at uh, at a surprise here. <laughs> what do I want to watch? I feel like we're. I don't want this to become a competition in which we just go tit for tat, and then you're just going further down your fucking crazy wormhole, and then uh, suddenly, like I'm, I'm like, you know, making you watch, you know, the, the craziest big budget thing I could fucking think of. Um, but I had this on for a while, and uh, I've been wanting to do it, and. So no better time than now, and I, I, it is on the opposite end of the fucking scope. Our first, I let me think. Our first Paul Verhoeven movie. Have we done Paul Verhoeven? Uh, no, because we've talked about it. We were gonna do it the first season, and we were gonna Showgirls yeah. is the is the preemptive movie that we never did. Right. So I'm gonna do a a real uh, Gonzo Paul Verhoeven movie. <laughs> 2000s Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon is on the fucking docket. Uh, one of my favorite pieces of shit to have ever been made. Um, and some of the worst CGI ever. And some of the best CGI ever. Just some real bad decision making um, in general. But uh, yeah, 2000s Hollow Man will be for next week. This is going to be wild because I actually did see Hollow Man in the theater when it came out and I have not watched it since. So let's see how... <laughs> how it, it doesn't age up. gracefully, that's for sure. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. <laughs> this is going to be a real... Uh, a but real... it still has like Paul Verhoeven qualities. That's yeah. the thing. Like It's not like an abject piece of shit. It's like Paul Verhoeven directed this. So it, yeah. it's got like shit that rules. So And Josh Brolin's in it. Like It's got like... It's crazy. It's got a sick cast. Elizabeth Shue. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what we think of it. I haven't seen it in years, <laughs> but I, I remember it being insane. All right. Phenomenal. In those jail scenes when it cuts to him, what's up with that fake mustache? I look <laughs> <laughs>this has been another deep dive into midnight movie madness big thanks to charlotte blythe for our intro music our outro music is provided by x dementia is that correct john yes it is yes i, I want to make sure i don't fuck it up x dementia that's john's former outfit and uh yeah if you're a band and would like to submit a song 
feel free to drop us a line or a uh, listener, for that matter. Drop us a line at midnightflixpod at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram at midnightflixpod and a TikTok. And that is all, those are all the avenues we exist on the internet because uh, we are partially internet phobic. Uh, <laughs> but, anyways, so yeah, drop us a line, get in touch. Until next time. Right now, forming out his fucking mouth, Madness, 